0: Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, thank you for the privilege of opening up your word together as a church. Uh, thank you that you, are, you have revealed yourself to us through your word, and, and we get to know you through your word. Yes. Help our hearts to be hearts and lives to be conformed to your word, to the truth in your word. And may we have hearts that are soft, soft to hear and quick to respond to who you are and to what you've done for us and what you've said to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. There is one sure and steady foundation for our church. There's, there's one solid rock that we build on. The ultimate authority in our church is not Larry and me as elders. It's not the original church plant team. It's not Nora who makes so much happen for the church. Although it can feel that way at times. The ultimate authority in our church, its foundation, is Jesus Christ. And we know Jesus Christ... Through his word. He is the head of the body, the cornerstone of the building. We know Jesus through the Bible. We know Jesus through the Bible. That's for all the six to ten year olds. I'm going to say that one more time. We know Jesus through the Bible. Our church sits under the rule and authority of, of this book because what this book contains is the inerrant, it's never wrong infallible, never failing, eternal, never changing word of God. What scripture says, God says. Now we are a simple church with a simple philosophy of ministry. We preach the word, we sing the word, we pray the word, we speak the word, and we apply God's word to our lives. But because this this book contains words from the, the incomparable and the infinite God, there's a sense in which we will never get to the bottom of God's Word. We're never going to reach a point where it's like, you know what, we've covered it all. Let's move on to something else. We will never move on from this book. St. Augustine described God's Word as saying, it's got waters shallow enough for lambs to wade in and waters deep enough for elephants to swim. And that, that is God's Word where it's, we, can, we can learn something from it. We can engage with it. Our kids can engage with God's Word. Yet right. we will never exhaust all that is contained in God's Word. As Christians, we're only going to know a little of God's Word, but we should spend our days seeking to know more and more from God's Word. This is our pursuit until we come to see our to, to our end when we see God Himself. So this is this is how we see God now. But one day we will see Him face to face. So until that day, we know Him in His His word, so that's what we're doing this morning. We look to God's word to learn from God's word in order to obey God's word. So please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 6 with those thoughts in mind. As you know, we've been going through the series of why questions over the last couple months. Um, This is the last one we'll be addressing before we kick off our series next week in Ecclesiastes. Last week, Larry answered the question, Why elders? Why do we have elders and rooted in god's word he provided three reasons for why we have elders he said because the office of elder was created by god for god's people we have elders to model christ-like living for the church to imitate and we have elders to extend god's shepherding care to his flock and we took time to look through scripture and we saw in god's word his gracious provision in providing us elders Now, there's another office instituted in Scripture, one that's often neglected or abused or misunderstood. And this morning we ask a question that maybe you've thought about before or maybe you've never thought about at all. Why deacons? Why deacons? God has given to His church elders and deacons. God has given to His church elders and deacons. So why deacons? Now, to illustrate why we're asking this question in this series, I, I want you to think just for a, a moment about um, technolo- technological change. Think about the industry of, of photography and film. I was talking with somebody just yesterday about Kodak. I have not thought about Kodak for a long time. And at one time, they were a company that was just too big to fail. I mean, they dominated this film industry. They, they made just exorbitant profits on selling strips of film to put in your camera. And as they were too big to fail, they were also on the leading edge of of digital photography, believe it or not. And they were pioneers there. But as they led the way in taking their industry to, to that digital space, and as that market grew and matured, they didn't make the right and necessary changes to keep up. And ultimately, this change caused the company to declare bankruptcy just a few years ago. And as an industry matures and develops, behind the scenes structures and need to change as well and what matters behind the scenes matters what what happens behind the scenes matters a great deal and these moments of growth and crisis they're similar to what we see in the early part of the book of acts the church is inaugurated at pentecost it's it's established and growing and as something grows there comes points in time where there's need for new structures in order to serve or spur on continued growth. Now change takes place, it's something that takes place over time. As something matures, new structures are needed to help accomplish our mission, to take the organization to the next level. For us as a new church, now three years in, we rejoice to see God building something and, and growing something. And as we go, we want to just continue to better define and refine our our structures rooted in God's Word. We want to lay the foundation for more effective ministry for the future. So we're asking this question, why deacons? Now, in the beginning of this book, we see the church, in the book of Acts, we see the church spring to life. I mean, all kinds of stuff has happened. Flip over a couple pages to Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, we see, "...and they devoted themselves..." those who are being saved you see this church is it's it's just full of life what's going on as they're sharing life as they're praising God as they're breaking bread together all kinds of stuff is happening something new was happening God was building his church and and the apostles that were leading this charge in the name of Christ they were they were the trailblazers they were the the church planters. They, the apostles, those who were, who were taught by Jesus and saw the resurrected Jesus, they were laying the foundation for the church. Now eventually, problems begin to arise. In, in chapter 4 and 5, we see persecution take place, challenges from outside. In chapter 5, we, we come across the story of Ananias and Zephira. And that's one to put the fear of God in you. uh, there there are problems within as sin comes out in the context of the church. Now when we reach Acts chapter 6, the church faces a new kind of problem. And this problem threatens the very ministry and unity of the church. And it's in response to this problem that as the church grows and develops that a new structure is instituted. So let's look together at Acts Acts chapter 6 beginning in verse 1. Now in these days... But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became... Obedient to the faith. And just to let you know where we're going from here, we're gonna we're gonna answer this question: Why deacons first? And then we're gonna answer three more questions. So, if you're taking notes, just we'll be going through these four questions. So, first, why deacons? Before we get the answer, let's just walk through this text and take note of a few things. Perhaps most obviously, uh, you may have noticed that the word deacon is not even mentioned in this passage. But I want you to be aware of something. Uh, I normally don't use Greek when I'm up here, but in this case I think it's really helpful to n- know a little bit of Greek. And so the Greek word for deacon is diaconos. Diaconos. And so although the word deacon is not mentioned here, when we come in verse 1 to the distribution, the daily distribution, that word right there is diakonia. Diakonia sounds same same root as diaconos. Uh, in verse 2, we come to that word um, at the very end, the word of God, to serve tables, that word to serve. That is diakonane, diakonane. So while deacon is not explicit here, as we see this development and this new office develop, we see this kind of theme emerging of, of diakonos. And diakonos means one who serves, one who serves. It's a, it's a common word in the Bible for service. It refers to someone that has been entrusted to meet the needs of others. So as we see the forms of this word come up, it points forward to the development of this this office. Another thing to notice here is that the problem in this early church, it was a practical problem that had spiritual ramifications. It had spiritual significance. A practical problem with spiritual significance. This early church had tremendous diversity. If you remember back on on the first day, 3,000 people are added to the church. As the widows of this church were being cared for, some were being neglected. It seems that there was some partiality or, or what we might understand as racism going on. Those widows that spoke Hebrew were being treated right. They were being treated one way. And those widows that spoke Greek were being treated wrong. They were being treated another way. It doesn't take much Imagination to see how potentially divisive this would be in the church. I mean, think about it in our context. After after this service, we're going to have pizza together. And what if, as we're, you're going to get in line to get your daily distribution of pizza, if it only was a daily distribution? Make happy. <laughs> but if it, they would ask, are you a part of the original church planting team? And if you're not, you don't get any. I mean, that would be ridiculous. But think of how divisive that would be. Or even more so, think about it if, as you came up, oh, you're Caucasian, so you get pizza. You're not Caucasian, so you don't get anything. That's what was going on here in this context. It was divisive, and it threatened the the very nature of the church, the unity of the church. So we see in verse 1 this practical problem emerge. These, These widows aren't getting what should be rightfully theirs. Verse 2 then brings a spiritual problem just more into focus. Yes, the 12 could deal with this distribution. The apostles, they could deal with this distribution. They could take it over. But as they're recorded saying there in verse 2, it is not right that we should give up the preaching of God, the Word of God to serve tables. The spiritual problem is that if the apostles are to give themselves to answering this practical need, then they would be neglecting, The priority and primacy of the proclamation of God's word. For these men to neglect this call would be a huge problem. A huge problem for the church. But look what happens. Verse 3 gives us a practical solution. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Keep in mind that this church is massive. That might seem like an unusual process there in verse 3. It's like, why didn't the apostles just say, Hey, Bill, John, Pete, you guys go do this. As I was talking to Paul Roy actually yesterday about this passage, he he, had a very, he provided me with some practical wisdom that I didn't get in seminary. And he said, you know, like the church had gone from like 0 to like 120 to 3,000. Like they probably didn't know all the guys in the church. It's like, that's a really good point, Paul. And so that's, that's what was happening. I mean, the apostles, the twelve, they don't know all these people. Yes, they've been living life with them, but they don't know all that's going on and everything. So the church brings men forward and the, and the apostles appoint them for this duty. So the practical solution to the practical problem is for the elders to appoint men to serve in this ministry of mercy. Now along with that in verse 4, next we see the spiritual solution to this problem. The apostles won't have to give up preaching. Rather, it says, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, by these seven men being appointed for this practical service, the apostles are able to to give themselves to what they've been called to do, pray and preach. And prayer stokes the fire of proclamation. This is the call of an elder, and it's the lifeblood of the church. Look again at how this resolves there. In uh, verses 5 and 6, we see that men are appointed. And the apostles lay hands on them in verse 6 and install them in this role. But notice the effect that this has. We've been going through the practical problem, spiritual problem, practical solution, spiritual solution. Look at what happens in verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Looking at this verse, you get a sense just how important this moment in the life of the church was. There are three times where Luke, in writing Acts, comes to a verse like this. And this, this is one of them. This kind of concludes a section for Luke. This is, this is a pivotal moment in the life of the church. And, I mean, all that just happened was that they appointed men to meet this practical solution. But the effect of it was that the church stayed unified. The, protect, the, the, the effect of it was that these people in need were shown mercy. The effect of it was that the apostles were, were enabled to preach the word. And the church is built. And lives are changed. David Peterson, a the theologian, he writes this. He says, If decisive action had not been taken to deal with the social issue disturbing the church, growth of the word may not have continued. But action was taken. And the word spread. Now in the economy of God, the ministry of mercy and and service is no small thing. It actually plays a huge role in the community of God's people. God is a God full of mercy, abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us as our sins deserves. And he calls people to reflect that mercy. And it's through this reflection of mercy and grace that we, that we are a light to the world around us. The church is a community of love laying down our lives for one another because Christ has laid down His life for us. So, why deacons? Why deacons? Because I'm going to sum it up. In God's wisdom, He provides the church with deacons to support the spiritual ministry of the Word by leading and meeting the practical needs of the church. In God's wisdom, he provided the church with deacons to support the spiritual ministry of the word by leading and meeting the practical needs of the church. As we've seen that here in Acts 6, and we've seen that here in Acts 6, the reality of life and ministry in this world is that there are real practical needs. We are a group of people with with real needs, with real bodies, with real problems. And God, in his wisdom, has set up these two offices of the church, elders and deacons, to meet people in their needs. This is God's good idea. And each office is made up of men who work together with the same goal of seeing every member of the church experience the joy that comes in salvation. And that's what happened right here in Acts. A barrier comes up for these widows and for those who were offended for these widows. There's this challenge that's faced. They're not able to experience life in God's church as it is meant to be. They're not able to experience the grace and the goodness that comes through the gospel. They are, because of this practical need, they're kept from the joy of their salvation. And here, God establishes this office in order to serve them so that they can enter into the joy of their salvation. So why deacons again? In God's wisdom, he provides the church with deacons to support the spiritual ministry of the word by leading and meeting the practical needs of the church. So our second question, that was our first question, why deacons? Our second question, I think we have to ask after we answer this one, that one, is what do deacons do? What do deacons do? First, I want to just provide a broad answer to this question. The broad answer comes from the very word itself, as we talked about, diaconos. It means, it means really to serve. It's one who serves. So deacons serve. Deacons serve. Now you may be thinking, man, this is great. Like, I'm finally off the hook. No more serving for me. I mean, that's the deacon's job. Well, not so fast. Not so fast. Yes, deacons are servants, but so is every other member of the church. Every person in God's redeemed community is called to serve. Everyone is called to serve and to show mercy to those around them that are in need because this is an expression of God's own character. Remember, when Jesus is asked by the Pharisees, what is what is the greatest commandment? He begins, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and, and greatest commandment. And the second is, like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Think back with me to the Gospel of John. We just went through our series in John. And in John 13, we see Jesus, the God-man, fully God, fully man, stooping, down and washing the stinky, dirty feet of his disciples. After this, he tells the disciples in John 13, he says, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done. Now minutes after this, Jesus gives a new commandment to the disciples, to us. He says in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. So you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So you see here the priority of service and being servants for those who are in Christ. This is certainly a work we are called to because it is a reflection of, of Jesus Christ. Now, we're here in, in, in Grace Church. We have servants all around. And we are so blessed to have so many people who do serve so heroically and so faithfully. Yes. And thank God that this church is not characterized by those who are waiting for someone else to serve. It's been just a wonderful joy over the past year and a half to be a part of this church and to experience that. And may it only continue. So yes, we all serve. But God has called deacons uniquely to lead in this service. Think back with me on the scenario in Acts 6. You may have missed it, but in verse 1, people are already serving. There is this this daily distribution going on to meet the needs of these widows. And it's not, this is not, not to disparage this, but it's not a once a month, we're going to give some canned goods to the food pantry, which is a wonderful thing and something we should keep doing. But they were doing this everyday distribution It was sacrificial service. But as we've seen, there was a problem in this service. They were showing partiality and inequality in their serving. And what did God deem this requires? God God said, we need people to lead. We need leadership. And so these seven men were appointed to lead in this service. So deacons serve. Deacons are servants, but they are to lead in serving. This means that deacons enlist others into this service. Deacons in one sense they're service coordinators. In Acts 6 there's a clear sense in which we, these these seven men they, they actually couldn't do the daily distribution in, in one sense. Socially they could not be in too much contact with these widows. And so the reality is they were enlisting other women to help with this distribution. Well, let's, let's drill down a little bit more on on this idea. So broadly, deacons serve, they lead in service, but what more does this look like? Let me just point out two things here. First, deacons lead in ministering mercy to those in need. Deacons lead in ministering mercy to those in need. There's a ministry of mercy that takes place in the church, as we've talked about, it's reflective of the gospel, where all have equal status before God. It doesn't matter if you make seven figures or a minimum wage if you are in Christ, at the foot of the cross is level ground. And this should be reflected in the church. There should be no partiality, as James writes very eloquently. This category of the needy, uh, or we could think of it more broadly as, as just the poor, it must not be something we think of narrowly. It can be easy to think of this as just those who are in financial need. And we live in one of the wealthiest counties in the world, and That doesn't mean that people aren't financially in need, but that's not what's going to hit home most for us. One author describes those who are in need as, could be the materially poor, could be the powerless, or could be the afflicted and the oppressed. So we must not be narrow in our thinking of who is in need. So deacons are to serve by ministering mercy to those in need, those who are in some way kept from the joy of their salvation. Second, deacons are to serve to protect the joy of God's people. When things go awry in this early church, people are no doubt voicing their concerns and complaining to the apostles. And the apostles act swiftly and decisively to put an end to this murmuring which threatened the joy of the church. One author comments, he says, in the church, no members should be murmuring because of oppression or want so that they can no longer experience the joy of salvation and release from all bondage in Christ. Ministry to the poor is never just a matter of seeing to it the known is without food. This ministry includes comforting and encouraging the oppressed and ensuring the joy in the spirit for free children of God who have been liberated by Christ should be realized in the communion of the saints. Deacons give themselves to service so that the true joy and unity of the church is protected. So this is what deacons do. Deacons serve By enlisting the church in ministering mercy to cultivate joy and unity within the church. Deacons serve by enlisting the church in ministering mercy to cultivate joy and unity within the church. So that's our answer to our second question. Third question Who are the deacons? Who are the deacons? And here we're going to look at their their qualifications. Who qualifies to be a deacon? For our answer here, we're going to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. So you can go ahead and turn there. And we'll, we'll be spending the rest of our time in this chapter. 1 Timothy chapter 3. The first thing that, that we notice, and Larry pointed this out for us last week, this chapter, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he gives him qualifications for elders and qualifications for deacons. And Larry pointed out the, the overall similarity between these qualifications. And they're identical when it comes to character, character qualifications. There's only a difference in gifting and in function. So who are the deacons? Well, let's start with who they are not. Deacons are not elders. The names that are used for elder in the Bible speak to the different dimensions of this role. Again, Larry highlighted last week. Elder, one who is spiritually mature. Overseer, one who governs. Pastor, one who provides shepherding care. Deacons, they're not called to these things. They're not called to these functions. They're not gifted for those functions. Now, in this list in 1 Timothy 3, we're going to see hints of this. Look at 1 Timothy 3, verse 2, there at the end. Elders are to be able to teach. This highlights the, the shepherding, the pastoral role of an elder. They spiritually feed God's sheep with God's word. and look down at verse 5. Paul says, how will he he care for God's church if he cannot manage his own household? This highlights the need for elders to be able to, to govern and lead the church well. But like elders, deacons are to be men of God. Deacons are godly men. Deacons are godly men. And that's what we see Paul unpack here. So beginning in verse 8, deacons, likewise, must be dignified. They must be men who are, who are worthy of respect, who are of good repute, as Acts 6.3 says, who have good standing in the household of God. Deacons are not to be double-tongued, not addicted to too much wine. They're to be self-controlled. They're to have control over their passions and their desires, Deacons are not greedy for dishonest gain. Which means they're they're responsible financially. They're trustworthy with money. And in the ministry of mercy, as they are administering benevolence, they must be trustworthy with money. Next in verse 9, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So for elders, they're called to teach... For deacons, they're called to hold. They should be grounded in the gospel. They should know the Christian faith. They should know God through His Word. And then verse 10, And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Deacons are they're proven men. They... People have seen them live their lives. People have seen their self control. People have seen that they are worthy of respect and dignified. So, deacons are proven. Now, next, in, in verse 11, we see their wives. Now, their wives, that word for wives, it, it's also translated as women. And there are many people who make the case that Paul is switching to talk about women deacons. This is, women deacons should also be such and such. Now, there, is, there, are, there are many people who we would respect and we would love who would interpret it that way. Um, as, as Larry and I have studied it, as we've talked about it, as I've read from a lot of other people that I respect and appreciate, there's one, one guy, B.B. Warfield, who, who actually would hold the women deacons. He actually says, you know, I mean, like, I hold to this, but there's, like, just a shred of biblical evidence for it. And so you really can't put much stock in it. Um, so, for us, we would see this as, as talking about their wives, like the ESV translates it right here. Their wives, likewise. Um, the, uh, this actually highlights the importance of the role of women in, in deacon ministry. Because the role of the wives of these men is, is critical. You don't see this same comment in the qualifications for elders, it's only for, for deacons that their wives must be this way, that they must also be dignified. But remember how deacons are to lead the church in service. This means that their, their job is to make good use, to be good stewards of the gifts of those in the church. And the wives of deacons and women in general have a huge role to play in this. And no, having first-hand experience in, in this church, given how gifted the women are in this church, we would be amiss if we did not make use of the good gifts and thank God for the ways that these gifts do function in our church but it's clear that there's just little biblical support for this talking about women it doesn't make sense for Paul there's nothing in the text that, that says that Paul is switching to talking about women and then in verse 12 we're going to see that he goes back to talking about men so they're wives and then another support is Acts 6 you'll notice that the apostles they appointed seven men they didn't have to appoint seven men but that's what god called them to appoint so that's qualification there next qualification there to be faithful leaders in the home verse 12 let deacons each be the husband of one wife managing their children and their own households well they are to manage their homes well and then in 6 3 we're not going to turn back there but it, it says that they're to be full of spirit full of the spirit and wisdom so there are be, to be godly men who, who follow hard after God and receive wisdom from the Spirit. So this is who God calls to be deacons. So now our, our final question we're going to look at, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? Now when this church began, we established a, a leadership team to serve alongside of Larry Malament in providing oversight and care for the church. These men who who have sacrificially served our church so much over these first 3 years. They've been functioning in in many ways as deacons, and in other ways they've kind of been functioning as elders, and then in other ways they've just been godly counselors. But the leadership team, while good and helpful for us for this first season of the church, has been it's been defined more pragmatically rather than biblically. And we want to we want to change that. And we want to move our church to the next level in our church leadership and government. We want to be bringing all that we do under the gracious rule of the word of God. And where God's word is clear, we want to be clear. I had a recent conversation with a member of our church and, and they came up and asked me, they said, so what does the leadership team do? So I talked to them about what they do and then they asked, so like, where do we get this from the Bible? I said, that's a really good question. And something we're going to be looking at or we are looking at And uh, as pastors, Larry and I, we love having these conversations. We love being in a church where people love God's word like we love God's word. People want to see the Bible informing all that we do like we want to see the Bible informing all that we do. And this is one of those areas where not because of neglect, but just because of the season that our church was in, the point in the life of our church, we now see an opportunity to bring our church more in line with what is clear biblically. In fact, this is, this is normative for the church. When the church began, the apostles were leading the church, so they didn't have deacons. It wasn't until Acts 6 that they had deacons. When, that, was, that was in the mid-30s A.D. about. If you look at Philippians 1, Paul writes this letter to the, the overseers and deacons. That was written in the mid-60s. So at that time, it was very common that churches now had they have overseers, elders, and deacons. Similarly, Paul writes to Titus, he says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So the church begins with elders. That is, that's normative in the life of the church. Paul is not telling Titus, don't appoint deacons, but he is saying elders are what you need to appoint first. Elders are our first priority when it comes to building the church. And as the church grows and establishes itself, as men are proven then deacons are installed. And this is where Larry and I, in, in, in conversation with the leadership team, we feel like we are as a church now. Accordingly, over the next couple months, we're going to be walking through a process of, of re-evaluating the leadership team, disbanding the leadership team, and in its place, installing deacons, where we have clear biblical categories for their role and their function. Now, this may prompt various questions for you right now, and that is, that's totally fine. And Larry and I, or the leadership team, we're all happy to talk about this, but ultimately this is an opportunity to, to elevate and give biblical grounds for many of the functions that the men in this church are already fulfilling. The Bible gives clear weight and responsibility to this role and we want to recognize it as an office right. of the church. We want to put it in its rightful place in the church. So over the next few weeks, we'll send out additional information um, and communication as to what this process is going to look like for our church. But for now, be excited at what God is doing. He is building his church through his word. He is equipping us to more faithfully and more effectively minister the word and care for those in need in our midst, both both spiritually and practically. This is his grace and kindness to us. Now look down here at 1 Timothy. Right after Paul lays out these qualifications, look where he goes. Look at verse 14. This is why Paul is writing to Timothy. He says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Paul writes to Timothy and God writes to us today so that we might know how to behave in the household of God. This is a divinely inspired division of labor, elders and deacons. Spiritual and practical. So that the church of the living God might be a pillar of truth. So we might be a pillar of truth confessing the mystery of godliness. Proclaiming the glory of Christ. So that's why deacons. Ultimately it's about proclaiming Christ and Him crucified. And as a church we don't place our hope in having the right structure. We place our hope in the one and only Savior. You see what Paul writes there. This is what we confess. He was manifested in the flesh. God was manifested in the flesh. God became man. He was vindicated by the Spirit. Justified by the Spirit. In his life, he never sinned. He never gave into temptation. He never did anything wrong. He completely obeyed. And he was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels. He was proclaimed among the nations. You can't keep the message of Jesus in. He is proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. And now, he's seated at the right hand of God, interceding for us. This is what this church is built on. This is what the church hopes in. So while we do want to continue to always be conforming our lives and the practices of this church to Scripture. Our hope is in this one, Jesus Christ. Our hope is in this Savior. So would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, thank you for the privilege that we have of opening your word together. Thank you for the grace that is so abundantly evident as we glean wisdom from your Scripture and as we experience life in this church. Thank you for the grace that marks Grace Church. Thank you for the many lives that have been transformed by the power of the gospel. And may we as a church continue to grow and to thrive so that your word might, might spread, so that we might see more and more people saved, and more and more people experience the joy of salvation, the freedom that comes from being found in Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.